welcome to a new episode of Never Seen, the podcast where we watch the films missing from our filmographies, those glaring gaps in our film education, the classic or immortal movies people are shocked you've never seen. I'm your host, Jenny, and joining me as ever is the lovely Stacey. Hello. And the ever lovely Lee. Hello. I was quite worried there for a minute. I thought, fuck, it's not going to start now. I'm just not going to say anything, right? <laughs> No, I had a minor brain fart about what language I should say hello in and then just panicked and said hello because I realised I've been quiet for too long. Absolutely well, fine. through me because I thought, should I say bonjour? Is it my turn to say bonjour? <laughs> next episode. Do I normally be... say bonjour? Yeah, but next next time it can be. Oh. You can both do it and I just, I just, I won't. I won't. Oh, no, I feel like I've got a sneeze coming on. <laughs> Good start. It's, right. it's a good start, guys. Good start. So, anyway... This episode, it was uh, my choice for the film for us to watch this time. And I chose 1950s Sunset Boulevard. Ooh. Classic. Absolute classic. It was directed by Billy Wilder, who also directed Starlight 17, Sabrina, Some Like It Hot, The Apartment, and many others. But they're just like some of the ebigies. And I know a couple of those... I feel like actually Starlight 17 would probably be something you really quite like, though, Lee. Oh, uh, yeah. It's yeah. A, but I'll get into that. It's a, it's a big fight. Yeah. Point. Yeah. Uh, Sabrina, I've enjoyed Audrey Hepburn, but some like it hot in the apartment. Super. Love mm. those. How how many of those have you seen, Stace? One. Was that some like it hot? Yes. Excellent. Good. Good. <laughs> and I liked it. If that Yay! Thank God for that. <laughs> Oh, you. Oh, I mean, well. I've come close to flouncing off this podcast a few times, <laughs> but that—that that was the closest. That was a pregnant pause, if ever there was one. That, that just would have taken the biscuit, wouldn't it? Broke the yeah. camera's back. I'd have got fired for that one, I think. <laughs> I think probably. Anyway, Sunset Boulevard. It was written by Charles Brackett, who's also known for writing *The Bishop's Wife*. Um. Also written by Billy Wilder and D.M. Martian Jr. Uh, I couldn't read my writing there for a moment, so I either <laughs> did or did not pronounce that correctly. It was also produced by Charles Brackett, but let's get on to the cast. So, starred as uh, Norma Desmond, was Gloria Swanson. Joe Gillis was played by William Holden. Max von Meerling, played by Eric von Stroheim. Betty Schaefer, played by Nancy Olsen. As Sheldrake, who's a film producer by Fred Clark and other supporting actors and actresses in this, but these are the guys that we uh, see the most in the movie. Yeah, it's a pretty tight, small cast. Really. It is. It's a real tight cast, but we also had some uh, cameos yeah. of some very famous people, um, especially from the silent film era, which plays a, a, a large role in this yeah. film. So we had, as themselves in the movie, uh, famous Hollywood director Cecil B. DeMille, um, Hedda Hopper, who was an actress in sort of the silent era, but then became a gossip columnist, which she was more famous for mm-hmm. throughout the 40s and 50s. Buster Keaton, Anna Q. Nielsen and H.B. Warner, who were known as the waxworks in the film by Joe Gillis. Yeah. So that is our cast and our extras. There's so much more to say about this film. and We're going to get to it because there is quite a lot. But first, uh, now remind me, Lee, had you seen this before? 
Yeah, I'd you seen had... I'd seen it before. It's a big five line. Okay, so I it's... saw it, it. I feel like I saw it quite recently. Yeah, but, it, but actually doing the maths on it, it was probably around about the turn of the millennium. Oh, which is, which it's <laughs> not about, Oh, so we're talking twenty odd years ago, and I'm thinking, yeah. yeah, it was only a few years back. It was only you know barely barely a blink. So <laughs> I I I think I saw it. I'm a big fan of Billy Wilder anyway. Yeah. In my list of all-time favorite directors, he's probably right up there. Top five. Yeah. Possibly top three. You know, you yeah. got Hitchcock, John Carpenter, and then Billy Wilder probably. Um, yeah. And then I would have said Ridley Scott, but he's made a lot of toss. He's made good tosses <laughs> and then a lot of toss at the same yeah. time. So I never feel, I'm never sure how I feel about Ridley Scott. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I'm a big fan of you know billy wald you know um some like it hot especially the yeah. apartment especially these are b- both like top 10 all-time favorite films stalag 17 ace in the hole i watched recently and that's a fantastic movie yeah um but he also did witness for the prosecution which is terrific lost weekend which is terrific double indemnity he's got such a a hit list yeah I mean, a, f- a few years back, probably I think it's about 2018, I, d- I did a deliberate um, watch of most of his filmography and, and sat through a lot of them for about a month. And and it was just hit after hit after hit after hit. Uh, and then it just drops off at the end. But it was yeah. it was just a phenomenal track record, really. Oh, yeah. Uh, great, across great multiple movies genres as well he did comedies and dramas and you know and and, and all sorts you know he, mm-hmm. he didn't do horror he didn't do science fiction but there's a lot of um a lot of variety in his in his filmography well that's interesting you say he didn't do horror with sunset boulevard but we'll, well, we'll yes. come to that i think uh, yeah put, put an asterisk next yeah time. come to that but so stace this was your never seen you hadn't seen this one that's right. Yeah. Surprising. Approximately zero of our audience. Uh, <laughs> it was, in fact, me that hadn't seen this. Now, what I am about to say. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, what I'm about to say. My... Jenny's just muted herself. What the hell? She's cursing already. <laughs> I, was, I was just turning off the heater. I didn't want to be making a noise. It's OK. Yeah, She's yeah. Not, we, we believe you. Word of it. <laughs> We believe you. Uh, I wonder what what words you called me behind that microphone mutation. Um, Hey, so uh, what I'm about to say may make you realise why this film threw me for a loop and why I haven't quite got on board with it. I have absolutely no idea why I thought this. I thought this film was a musical. <laughs> I, know, I have I always musical, but that's I have, okay. I have always thought this film was a musical. I have known absolutely zero things about this film except that it's a musical. And so my expectations of going into this were, oh, I joined a little musical. <laughs> and so uh, what was delivered to me, uh, to my eyes, was subsequently a truly baffling experience for me because for a good half an hour I was like, when's the first song? <laughs> like genuinely I was sitting there and I was like, and then at one point I thought I'm going to have to ask Richie if we're watching the right film because I'm certain that, that Sunset Boulevard is a musical. And so I asked Rich and he just gave me this deadpan look of like, 
what are you fucking talking about? And I, he didn't even have to say anything. I was like, it's not a musical, is it? Like, no, no, it isn't. It's, like, it's been turned into a it's musical. It's turned into a musical. Andrew Lloyd Webber turned it into a musical. Oh, my it's... God. Thank you and so it... much. Because I thought I was imagining a song. No. Like, I had a song. called Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. As I say, I had a song in my head and I couldn't remember anything about it, except there's one line that dramatically goes, destination for the stony hearted or something along those lines. And I was like, why is that? Why Why am I thinking it's a musical? Have I dreamt a musical? And then I started panicking about whether or not I've been dreaming night musicals. And just, <laughs> I just sort of lost my tiny mind a bit, um, unfortunately. Well, so also because um, definitely in my social feeds, but that's not surprising because musical theatre is a big part of what I uh, do in like, my hobbies of life. Um but currently in London, there is a new production of Sunset Boulevard on with Nicole Scherzinger as Norma Desmond. Yeah. And it's, it's like a really big, um, I guess, reimagining or resetting, perhaps, because I also saw some clips on socials where the guy playing Joe Gillis is walking through London and they're live streaming him walking through and singing in London on his way mm. to the theatre. So it's all a bit. Um, yeah. By the look of it, it's been brought forward into modern, which would work. This is a sort of story that can still work, sadly, in today's well, yeah. Hollywood. And we'll get to that. But that's why you think it's a, a musical. It also has, I mean, it has the, the song Santa Boulevard, the title song, of course. Um, and whoever plays Norma Desmond gets the most amazing song called As If, As if We Never Said Goodbye. But that's, I'll come maybe more to the musical, mostly just to say right now that I have seen it, didn't like it didn't think it worked it doesn't strike well. me as a film you could make it to a musical I think, well yes yes and no um i think it can work as a musical but i think it would work better as a traditional book musical mm. rather than a lloyd webber because with lloyd webber it's very typically his style which is is somewhat like light opera a little bit of dialogue but we're mostly going to sing in your face about everything yeah and that doesn't work for me for this story especially if the film's very dialogue heavy. exactly it's the exactly. dialogue is a real yeah. strength of it that's where the it, muscle is absolutely and i think if it had been a more dialogue dialogue here's a song it, mm. pushing on the dialogue dialogue you know it <clears> might have, <throat> for me that may have worked but as it is in a musical i have only seen an amateur company do it but they're a very good amateur company mm. but i didn't think much of the musical Okay. Um, which wasn't their fault it, it was the fault of it's, it's it, it just struck me as a weird one to pick yeah well this is this is why i think my reaction to the film was so bizarre because i got to the end of it and i thought i wonder what i've confused this for because there's no way you could make this into a musical that wasn't fucking insane mm. <laughs> yeah because it's not a story to me that you can be like put a song in there Mm. And it'll make it's it better like in any way. Song, song, One flew over the cuckoo's nest, or she's yeah. or something like that. It it doesn't really offer those kind of opportunities. Yeah. For, for you know, getting your audience to clap their hands and sing along. Because well, there's to be yeah. honest, there's not an awful lot sort of happening in the sense of like action. Yeah. For you to build songs around, it's 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 very much a almost a character study mm. of two people. Yeah. Uh, which doesn't lend itself to like let's break out the backing dancers. 
yeah. uh, the, the biggest bit of action I remember there being was, do you know, you remember the uh, towards the start of the film where you have Joe Gillis is in his car and he's running away from like debt collector type yeah. guys. And they do that in the stage musical, but they just had like little model cars of them sat in and then screens showing footage of movement. Mm. It, it wasn't great and it didn't really work. Please tell me there's a song about the dead monkey. I don't think there is. What a waste. <laughs> I don't think there is. But for, for me, the standout number is Norma Desmond's As If We Never Said Goodbye, because it's really, I can't remember where about it is in a musical, but I feel like it's an 11 o'clock number. So it's like it's her big moment. No, actually, mm. I know where it comes. It's when she goes to the studio to meet with DeMille. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the spotlight comes on her and she's remembering everything about being on on set and everything and the lyrics are very poignant to you know um she sings that she doesn't know why she's frightened and she knows her way around the set um and she talks about all of the smells and the sights and scenes it's a brilliant song it's just i don't like the rest of the musical (laughs) (laughs) and it's absolutely fair but um yeah so so in terms of like, yeah, where I'm coming from with this film, I knew literally absolutely nothing about it. And the one thing I thought I knew was, in fact, not true. Yeah. So uh, I was starting somehow in the negative on this. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's interesting because when I first saw it and I saw it on telly and I think it was just as part of a BBC Billy Wilder season, you know. So mm-hmm. I'd watched, you know, probably some like it hot and. Stalag 17 and then it was over Christmas and the next one was was Sunset Boulevard and I thought oh what the hell I've never seen it but I I I thought it was like a I might have thought it was a musical then anyway and that was before the musical exists I just thought it was kind of like a a soap opera kind of mm-hmm. about about life in Hollywood sort of thing because Sunset Boulevard sound it does sound like a musical it does, yeah. It, does, yeah, yeah. Yeah. it feels like it needs an exclamation mark at the end. It's like, I mean, yeah, it's like it should be an MGM, you know. It feels technicolour, even though it's yeah, black and white. black and white. Which, I mean, it's a masterful black and white. Oh, it's a beautiful black and white, yeah. Film, it really is. And that the extras that they did to add to that atmosphere um, when creating it mm. is it's superb. Um, I, I wish I could tell you my first, remembering my first time watching this film, because I can't. I've watched it so many times. Um, I know we sometimes do this where we sort of we go through our list of films that we haven't seen. And sometimes the one we pick to show is the one we've seen and we love. And perhaps the others haven't seen it, um, which is exactly what happened here, because <laughs> I wanted to you know, share this film with you. all. But mm. I must have watched it when I was doing my my degree with the Open Uni because part of my degree with that was film and television history. That recently? No, no. My I did my masters. Oh, my, okay. my my degree was my BA. Okay. Um, which was a good few years ago now. Okay. And that's because I oh, Lee's going to call this absolute sacrilege, and he might throw a hissy fit. We'll see. Before I did. Sorry, I'm I'm ahead. I'm a bit previous. Well, before I did my film and TV course with the Open Uni, I did not like black and white films at all. 
I didn't I thought they're just all going to be old and boring and didn't want to watch them. And then when I did that course, I had to watch Now Voyager. And then, of course, became my love for Betty Davis. And I fell in love with black and white movies. And um, it must have led from there that I eventually watched Sunset Boulevard. And I just fell for it because what an amazing story. Mm. And not only that, the way it was um, written and performed and the set deck and the cinematography, it was just you know, so it, it was nonstop. And then you'd watch it so many times that I'd watch, because I always like doing this, when they do them, the director's commentary or, you know, historian's commentary of how the, the film is made whilst you're watching it, or even just watching the documentary that was on the DVD, which was all about how it was made. And, um, and I love that too. And interestingly, I sent you guys the link, actually. Uh, Martin Scorsese just did a sit-down um interview chat, uh, not sure what you'd want to call it, um, at the BFI with um, Edgar Wright. And he was talking about old films and um, he said Sunset Boulevard, but he said of Sunset Boulevard, oh, that's not fair. He said, that's actually a horror. Mm. And I don't think until, I mean, he's not the only one I've heard call it that. I've heard other film historians call it a horror too. And apart from the gothicness of, of Norma Desmond's house, because it was very sort of 1920s, that his house, wasn't it? So it's very yeah. gothic decor. I hadn't really thought of it as a horror. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, cause when, I was, when I was watching it, because we know it's a uh, we heard it. We watched a, a, a documentary series about film noir. Yes. On Scars, yeah. we? And they mentioned they they called it a, a noir in that. Yeah. That was a surprise to me in itself. I'd never thought of it as a, as a film noir before. Yeah. I just th- saw it as a kind of melodrama, like a kind of dark psychological Absolutely. melodrama. Absolutely, yeah. And when they mentioned, called it a noir, it kind of like, oh, of course it is. Yeah. Of yeah. course it is. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not a traditional, what you'd think of as a noir, but it totally is. All the It's got all the, all the fingerprints of it. Yeah. And then when I was watching it again for this, I was watching it going, this actually might be a horror movie. Yeah. Particularly the first act and the last act. The first yes. act, it's Dracula. It's fucking Dracula where <laughs> where Joe turns up at the at the mansion and it's all decrepit. Oh, yeah. And then uh, yeah, it's I just said, there. This is Dracula. You've got the staircase. Yeah. The Bella Lugosi comes down and, and everything. And they got the fucking monkey that's dead <laughs> and it's, and oh, it's dead hands. That just, that just, just dropped. In, you know? in that, it's all death and decay that that sequence. Yeah. You know they're waiting for the the what's it the the mortician or something to come or the funeral undertakers what funeral the, home whatever yeah to come along and you don't know what it is and then this hand drops from under the the shroud and you get the musical cue as well with that which is all very well just horror really isn't it well yeah i mean franz waxman is you know who did the music is famous i mean he did bride of frankenstein and uh rear window and 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 rebecca so he 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 does these these gothics and these these horror so if that's very in i mean right from the start i mean certainly the, the very first shot the title shot is very telling anyway because you've got the title sunset boulevard and it's kind of uh, it's it's not an, a title over the top. It's it's is it diadetic? Is that the word? It's it's 
part of the scenery. It's painted. It's pa- yes, it is because it's in the scenery. And it's yeah, literally it's the curb, in the gutter. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's not on a sign. It's not like on the Hollywood Hills. It's literally in the gutter. It's literally the curbside of the street. <laughs> so I thought, well, there you go. And you got this very kind of bam, bam, bam kind of. Yeah, and then of course you have, uh, and we won't do step by step of no. of everything, but of course you, the, the opening. Well, now do you know the history of the opening for this film? Well, I know this was the the there was another opening. There was so so the opening we have that was put in the film is uh, we 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 see Joe Gillis floating dead in Norma Desmond's swimming pool, and it is Joe Gillis his ghostly voice if you like although not kind of Ooh, i'm a dead mm. ghost but <laughs> but joe gillis is telling us the story of how he reached this point that's right he, yeah he's the narrator that but... he's narrating it yeah but the first one that they filmed and tested was uh in a morgue yeah so it's joe gillis on being wheeled in on a stretcher into a morgue and all you see is basically uh, a load of bodies, men's bodies, really, covered in sheets. And you just see their feet and their toes and their toe tags. And from what I understand, sort of like Joe Gillis was sort of, you, you just hear his voice narrating a sort of thing. He's sort of freaking out. And other bodies are saying, it's all right. It's OK. Calm down. It's just basically a dead mate. But <laughs> I said, and, yeah, I think there's, there's Joe. There's a what's described as a fat man. That's a fat and man. A, and a young boy. And a young boy. And they're all sort of describing how they ended up there. Yeah. And then we get so to the, So the young boy drowned. Yeah. And he goes, oh, well, I drowned as well. And the boy says, oh, did you drown in the ocean? I drowned in the ocean. And he goes, no, I drowned in a swimming pool. I go, well, yeah. can't, you, can't you swim? And which is, and I can wait. And I, I, I've not, I mean, it doesn't exist, I don't think. I've just hit, like, read it's commentaries, never, commentaries about it. It was asked if it could be, I'll have to double check because, um, Oh, I think her name was is Shirley Lansing, and she was the head of was it Warner Brothers mm. um, in the nineties, I believe. And she asked Wilder if they could put it back on the DVD when they re-released it as like a special feature, like one of the specials. Yeah. Now he didn't have a problem with it; he just doesn't have it. Yeah. So it was a question of finding it. And I the thing is, I think I've heard it spoken of and described so much. I feel like I have seen it, but mm. I would have to double check the discs to see if it really was put yeah. back or at least put, put on there to watch. Because like some of the descriptions are a bit conflicting. Yeah. Some of them say that, he, that they're all just lying down and it's just um, voiceovers. That's it. Yeah. And they're still. And others of other descriptions saying they actually sit up. Oh. And, and talk to each other. Okay. But um, but either way, apparently when they tested it, it got laughs. Oh, it was a laughing stock. And, and they, um, yeah. It, and it, it, and, well, we don't want laughs. And it's no, producers didn't do that. So. But, but again, again, I've heard other commentaries saying that it was intended to be more of a comedy than mm. it became. So that they it was supposed to be blackly humorous. But by the time they'd finished editing and, they realised that's not the tone of the rest of the film, and it no. sets up a, a, a wrong expectation for the rest of the film. But anyway, mm. but yeah, it got. But yeah, they they did it so far out of town, so far out of Hollywood, 
that it, it didn't matter where they showed it. It would not. <laughs> the word of mouth yeah. would not follow back to where it. So, but then it changed, and it changed to what we eventually had. Which, yeah. all right, we've not seen that cut in the morgue, but mm-hmm. I have to say, I would imagine that what they 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 did with that finished cut is better. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I th- I think this cuts to the chase really yeah. quick. Yeah. You, you than, dropped in it straight away, and it's it's economical. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's still a fairly long film. It's under two hours. It's about one hour fifty something yeah. like that. I think. Yeah. I remember it being it being shorter than that. It's, it, it was a longer movie than I remembered. But it, it does cut to the chase really quickly and drops you in it mm. really quickly. And I think well, that's in its favour. See, here's where. So to be able to to go into some of the stuff that I thought about this film, I kind of need to give you my overall thought. And I, <laughs> I'm i scared to say this. I was going to save it to the end, but maybe I'll just whip that Band-Aid off right now. <laughs> I'm about to say something that I think is possibly the worst thing anyone can say about a film. Don't say it was boring. Did you hate uh, it? No, neither of those things. This okay. film had absolutely left no impression on me whatsoever. It was, oh. it was not, it was neither shit, nor did I find myself incredibly interested um, which I think is like that's that's the film uh, review version of your mom's disappointed in you, isn't it? Like, <laughs> you know, it's it's somehow it's worse than anger. Uh, <laughs> it's not that you've um, let me down. It's just that you've let <clears throat> everyone down. <laughs> but I think going back going back to the opening, I think one of the one of the big issues that I had, other than the fact that for a good third of the movie I was expecting a song, um, was that. Uh, I have come to this film at the wrong time. So um, Mm. there's a lot of stuff that happens in this film that would now be considered tropes uh, that have been parodied up the wazoo, that have been homaged, that have been like, yeah, just fully. There's so much stuff that I think if I'd have seen this film when it came out or before I'd seen any other (laughs) like media, I'd have probably been wowed by it. But like that sort of like trope of the, Oh, like uh, we're going to start the story at the end and uh, we're going to have a voiceover of the person saying, Oh, bloody hell. How did I get here? Well, let me tell you a little story folks. And then we do the narration is like, so yeah it was hard for me to get into the film because it felt to me like I'd seen it a million times before mm. which I have and there was it's amazed me that I've managed to get through my entire life not knowing anything about this film because it influences so many other things mm. yeah. I didn't know this was the film about being ready for your close-up that that line was from yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like yeah. there's so much stuff from this film that if you'd have seen it like I say, like if, if I'd have seen this in the in early in the life of the film, I probably would have been like, holy shit, this is one of the best things I've ever seen. But coming to it with my sort of 2023 brain that's full of <laughs> modern nonsense, yeah. uh, I was just like, well, I've seen that before. I've seen that before. I've seen that before, but better. Well, the, yeah, this is one of the... One of the things about watching like classics you've never seen before, which one, yeah. of, one of the interesting things about it, is that the whole load of baggage that comes along with it, of mm. of parodies and and like common knowledge and stuff that was original, originally it now becomes a cliche. Yeah. Fifty years later, sixty years later, mm-hmm. you know, you see a million and one, you know, like yeah. when we were watching two thousand one, a space odyssey. 
yeah, kind yeah. of like the music from that for a long time became almost made the film unwatchable because it was it was so much used in like spoofs and parodies it had yeah. become impossible to disconnect that from that mm. but i think but i think yeah i don't think that's an uncommon experience to be honest yeah. and, and, and it's infuriating as somebody who enjoys the film it's <laughs> always infuriating to go but that's not fair I know. Well, yeah. that's that's the thing is that my my rational brain knows that that's not fair. Yeah. Um. And I really I really wanted to like the film. Um. And I couldn't I couldn't give it like a terrible rating when I popped it on Letterbox because I thought it's not a like it's well written, it's well acted, it's beautifully filmed, uh, and it's wonderfully like edited together and presented. But it just it was almost like um I don't know like eating porridge like it will do, but. Like you're not, it's not you're not going to write home about this amazing porridge you had, <laughs> um, and that was that was the problem that I had is that I was like, I want to like it, I really want to like it, but it's so. I found myself like the most interesting part of it to me was going, oh no, where have I seen that before? Oh yeah, here, here, and here, or like, what was the parody of that that I saw? Oh yes, this, this, and this, like, um. And I, I found it really hard to actually get into like the the meat of the film because I was just so like been here before. You know that whole like joke there is about like our oh, Simpsons did it. Hey, the Simpsons yeah. have done everything yeah, yeah, before. Yeah. Like yeah, I think I think I think Simpsons references alone, you could you could find one in like every scene of this film. <laughs> yeah. And I just it's impossible for my brain to divorce that. Like I just couldn't. I tried, but I just couldn't do it, and I found it really difficult to. I think, I, by the end, it was feeling like a bit of a slog to me because I was like, I just. Yeah, I, I think I'll it's, get it. <laughs> it's like once I think once you because sometimes my brain does something similar, especially when you're not locked into something. But it's like once your brain starts thinking those things, like where do I know that person from? Where did I see that before? That's all you can think of, and you can't mm. think past it. And and I get it because I think. You know, there's there's been films that we've watched for the pod that I've been sort of similar about in in some in one way or another. And I probably did watch this for the first time round in a similar time frame to when Lee watched it without realising that. Um, and although that's a lot of pop culture and films between then and, and now when watching it, it's just, I just find it really interesting how differently we we view films and think mm. about them because that sort of thing um didn't occur to me at all when I watched it was it I don't know that I did watch it actually for my course but it just obviously led from there to it um but yeah I just don't think those sort of thoughts enter my mind that's not to say that I don't get why they did for you because I do mm. get it but I think also those extra years of all the new films that we've had over the years that have built on um what's the word Sp- like spoofing stuff or well yeah yes, it has been really hasn't it if it's not a cliche it's like spoofing it or trying to recreate it but in in their way not just carbon copying something but I do, it is interesting for us when we do this part to um hear how each other has viewed it as well yeah i'm disappointed you didn't like it <laughs> well I mean that's that's okay that's not you know yeah I was saying to Rich I said the thing is I can't I can't really say I disliked it because I appreciated a lot of things about it yeah um 
but I think I think it's I, I don't think I'll ever have the inclination to watch it again yeah um, yeah yeah you know if, if it was like knocking around on the telly or something I think I'd probably find something else to watch um because it it, it just felt like a, a series of tropes <laughs> Yeah. Just a, just an ongoing series of tropes, and I was like, oh, and it, I think my brain is just wired for stuff like that as well. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I uh, may or may not be neurodivergent. I, I don't know. I can't be asked to get assessed. Um, yeah, I, think I am as well, so it's absolutely fine. <laughs> but like like I find like finding patterns in things and stuff yeah. like quite interesting, which is why I quite like you know like murder mysteries and stuff like that because I like even if I can't. fathom out who it is like I quite like looking for the little clues and the little nuggets and that sort of stuff but yeah so when you find something that has so heavily influenced so much of the stuff that came after it Mm. and you've seen all of that stuff it's so hard to then like separate it from this original thing and it's such a shame because I think if I'd have seen this like I say at any like at a much earlier point in my life yeah. I'd have probably like if I'd have watched this when I was doing my media studies a level I probably would have liked it a hell mm. of a lot more um mm. because just, I wouldn't have had like because the thing is as well I didn't really start watching an awful lot of films or tv until like the early 2000s it was more like when I met um, rich, rich. Yeah. really that's not getting into more like I would only really watch whatever my granddad would watch which let's be fair was not um you know cl- classic cinema yeah. <laughs> like I'm not ragging on his choices I love a good Arnold Schwarzenegger movie every now and again um but like yeah we never used to watch like black and white movies I think Sound of Music was uh probably the fanciest thing that ever was on in our house and it's not fancy <laughs> at all um <laughs> so uh yeah, I d- I d- like so if I'd have seen it then, if I'd have watched it when yeah. I was like, yeah, doing my A levels, so when I was like, you know, seventeen, eighteen, I'd have probably slobbered all over it and been like, this is one of the best films I've ever seen. But unfortunately, it was uh, it was thirty eight year old Stace who saw it with a brain just chock full of fucking pop culture references and nonsense, <laughs> and I just couldn't. I, I think in the last twenty years, comedy's gone that way. Yeah, mm. it's gone very self referential and. Yeah. Not the parodies and piss takes didn't occur but i think now there's there's a whole industry you know with simpsons and Mm -hmm. family guy and all that kind of stuff in that it's all about kind of the last come from self-references and knowing oh i I know that reference yeah which wasn't there so much um but i I think it's 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 kind of fascinating in a way to look at it as almost reverse engineered mm. in a sense that um, like with uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey and with this and maybe some of the others we've watched where you can see, like you said earlier, Stace, like you can, you can see in this film, like where all these tropes and spoofs and that have now come from. It's like, this was the, this was the starting point. And then everything after there has probably been like they're taking the piss or they're trying to replicate it and that this, that and the other. But I find it is interesting that now that you're seeing the starting point and you see where all those things have come from, it's like now, but oh, yeah, that's a trope. Yeah. <laughs> I know exactly what that's going But I get it completely what, as well. What bamboozles me a bit, though, is how my brain like I don't understand how my brain works on these sorts of things, because even though like every other fucking scene in 2001 was has been like 
parodied to the nines or referenced to the nines Mm -hmm. that movie blew my tiny fucking mind (laughs) and I adored it so I I don't know what it was about this film I don't know whether it was something that just didn't it didn't grab me fast because I'm the kind of person who if something grabs me fast enough I can let a lot of stuff go like I can let I don't know shoddy CGI go if the story is engaging to me or if uh, I don't know if I've glommed onto one of the characters um so there's a lot of films i'll forgive a lot of stuff if if i'm engrossed and i think Mm. that was the problem is that it didn't grab me fast enough and i don't know whether that was because i was expecting a musical that i i wasn't grabbed because i was awaiting my first song that's (laughs) your opening number that's what was missing a big company choral number i I think i it sucks to be dead Shot twice in the head. Um, no, I uh, I think I did all myself on this one, if I'm honest, because my expectations of it were wrong. And what I try to do when we do these never scenes, and it's the movies that I haven't seen, I try not to like look anything up or anything beforehand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want to. All I want to know is that I'm watching the right film, so I'll just check like the year or whatever and make sure there's not like seven films with the same name. Yeah. Uh, and then I just go for it because I don't want any sort of like expectations, but my problem with this one is that I really should have and I should have tempered my expectations for not musical um, <laughs> because I think, yeah, I think I did up myself there because I was expecting something. It wasn't delivered to me. I then didn't get attached to the thing that was delivered to me and therefore was then focusing on everything that I was like, oh, well, this has been done. This has been done. This has been done. Even though this did it first. <laughs> that's what I mean. It's, like, it's fascinating that that's how... It, your mind works is like well that's been done that's been done like twenty thousand times over yeah but you did it first but that's beside the point is it <laughs> but i, but I didn't see it first <laughs> exactly but now i think i love that as well it's just but the main thing is like although it didn't grab you that is that you can appreciate it for you know its cinematography how it looks mm. how it felt how it was acted and, and written you know but you, you still appreciate all of that it's just at the end of the day it was just one that you didn't get hooked into. Yeah, yeah. It just didn't get it, its claws into me, I don't yeah. think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just that whole kit and caboodle just didn't do that last push that just grabbed you. That's, that's all. And that's absolutely fine because we've all had it. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting that um, you had a, a similar reaction to All About Eve. Yes. Which yeah. is a, a similar kind of film released in the same year with Both a lot the of similar themes. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's almost kind of like... The, the flip of it in that all about he the Norma Desmond character played by Betty Davis she gets her happy ending in mm. that and in this one she doesn't yeah. it's like this is the tragic version and that's the, the happy version yeah. but it's interesting that they're both they're both came out in the same year both leading ladies were nominated for Oscars neither of them got it mm-hmm. um, it went to um, somebody else <laughs> um, just trying to decipher my own handwriting one of us wrote it down and it wasn't me so <laughs> we could have we could have been here for a while oh yeah judy holiday in born yes oh that's right yes which kind of makes me a bit angry in retrospect now i've not seen born yesterday who the fuck remembers born yesterday when but, he had all about eve well it's, it's interesting Lullaby. because it's 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 a it's a well-known film is but, it but it's, yeah <laughs> i mean it's one of, I mean, have you seen it no I've not seen it, but I know of it. I don't and know, I of know it, the so. plot, and it, and it's and it's kind of 
the, the, like the uh, Judy Holly, the one, and she's kind of a, like a blonde bimbo type. She's like a, a gangster's mm-hmm. mole who has to be kind of educated to be less common sort of thing. Oh, so it's My Fair Lady. My Fair Lady. Pygmalion, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I find it interesting that when you've got two really strong kind of veteran, I want to say old women, but neither of them are old. They they, were in their 50s when they did. I uh, I can't remember how how old like um, Betty Davis was. I think, but I think she was only like 50, early 50s. Yeah, they're, they're both in their early 50s because Gloria Swanson had been, a silent movie star. Yeah, she, she and then, was 50. And they talk about it like she's ancient. Yeah, and she literally, in many ways, she really was a Norma Desmond. Yeah. Because when... Um, yeah, sorry, Carol. So I, know, I was going to say, because when, when Billy Wilder was casting the film, he went to... Um, oh, her name's gone. Well, he went to Mary Pickford first, who was queen of Hollywood. Yeah. And when, you know, um, her and her husband, Douglas Fairbanks created united artists uh, production company but they they were king and queen of hollywood in you know the 20s 30s and wilder approached mary pickford to do it now she wanted to apart from anything else she was quite aghast by the content of the film the script and everything but she also wanted her negatives um which he said no so that that was a no um well she and she was rejected then he went to, and this would have been, this 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 could have made the film unbelievably camp, more so than that you could say it is now. He then asked Mae West. Yeah. Now that's a really interesting choice. Mae West was actually a very good actress, a very funny, good comedian. She also wrote the majority of her, her roles and her scripts. And she was sort of like, she would do it, but she'd want to rewrite all of her lines. Yeah. And Billy Wilder was like, no. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a very not, you don't touch the, touch you, the dialogue. You, you don't touch the words. They're, they're, they're fine. And so eventually Gloria Swanson was suggested and that's that's who they went with. Um, and, and interesting. Perfect. Phenomenal. Oh, my goodness. And it's interesting that, uh, I mean, and it was just incredibly brave of her to do it because it's, it's almost a parody of her own life it absolutely there's, there's, is there's, there's lines in there about where she says something like oh i created the studio and, something like that i yeah. created paramount and that's her because she is that big a star she was huge and she and it, it, i don't know that it was oh, correct me if i'm wrong i don't know that it was parent but it was a studio yeah but it was yeah that um, was essentially she could have said but that. she could have said that herself because um the actor who played max her servant who was actually also one of Norma Desmond's husbands and director, yeah. um, Eric von Stroheim, he was also a Hollywood director of silent movies and yeah. directed Gloria, Gloria Swanson in her last silent film that completely bombed. It bombed yeah. so bad, it it's what shut down, as far as I understand it, it shut down the, the studio. Isn't, isn't that the... I can't that's, remember if that's the one that closed it. They, they, exactly they watch a film together at one point, and, and I think that's the last one. That is the film. That is the which film. Is, yeah. Knowing that, it's incredibly profound that they're watching that scene. Yeah. yeah. When that's the film that killed that's the her film. career yeah. in real life. Yeah, it absolutely destroyed her career um, and his. Although I think mm-hmm. he did go on to do other things in other countries. He, he became, yeah, he, he kind of yeah he went and directed in Europe and and had a bit more of a uh, a career as an actor as well. Yeah. Yeah. 
but um, oh, something like Cleopatra, something. I swear I wrote down the name of the film. Uh, Queen Kelly, it was called Queen mm. Kelly, the film. Um, but yeah, to be brave enough to say yes, to use clips of that film that destroyed both of us in this film, but it yeah. added to it. I mean, that, yeah. that whole jumping up, you know, with that claw like hand mm. in the screen and that beautiful lighting of the projector and the shadows and everything. Um, and there's just some great lines in this film, like um, when Joe Gillis says to, to Norma Desmond, hey, I know you, you used to be, you used to be Norma Desmond, you used to be big, you used to be famous, whatever. And she's like, I am big. It's the pictures that got smaller. Yeah. Fucking brilliant line. Well, yeah, legendary. These are legend. If you know your Hollywood history, these are legendary lines. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I like I like the one I said we didn't need dialogue we had faces. Yes, but um, but the dialogue throughout I think is terrific and it's very hard boiled. The yeah, yeah the, uh, there's the bit. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, Norma gets all the best lines and the most quoted lines. Mm. But I think I think there's some great stuff with um, with Joe Gillis and uh, Betty. Betty, they oh, get some yeah. really good banter. There's a whole separate movie there. Yeah, with those two kicking right. off their career like a, a b plot that you yeah. could almost take out and make another movie about that you could do a little film. rom like a little rom-com with those yeah. two, like writing a film together because the, their little yeah. mute uh, meet cute scene yeah. start where she's rejecting his his pitch just saying it's track. it's not good it's just a tie yeah and, and she says i'm trying to find i wrote it down um where she says something like oh it's from hunger yeah and I, said, and I was kind of disappointed because I'd heard your name mentioned and I heard you had talent. And then he, he says something <laughs> yeah. like, uh, that was last year, this year, yeah. or trying to make a living. I thought, my God, this is brilliant stuff. And isn't it? Because, you know, in Hollywood, they're just having the writer's strikes now, the actors yeah. are on strike. But you you watch it and you, and you, you know the history of women in Hollywood yeah. and everything. But you could do this film again today. Yeah, and you it could was, literally it make was, it, set it now, and have it have the writers being right. treated exactly the same. And, and instead of him yeah. saying, yeah, there's stuff he like he, he pitches like a baseball yeah. drama, and the producer just says, oh well, yeah, well, can we can we need it? I can't remember the name of the actress. We need something for such and such action. Can we make it? Can we make it a women's softball team and throw in a few musical numbers? And, yeah. and, and like that, and you go, that's exactly. I just think it was it, it was interesting that the kind of He's got Betty criticising him for writing a script that's too popularist yeah. and not being as crafted and meaning anything. And at the same time, he's got the producers wanting to turn it into something even more kind of mm. production line. And, yeah. you know, so and I think that that translates completely. It's almost like you could have that scene there with him going, well, we'll just run it through some AI. And, Basically. You know, <laughs> and we'll just see it out. And it'll off. be fine. Yeah. And then we can get you to do the polish. It. It's just how well crafted the script and that was written. And the thing is, when this went out and when it was um, the film was finished and it was played to the Hollywood elite. So I think it was uh, Louis B. Mayer held a party to screen the film. He fucking hated it. Yeah, it was. He it was, was so angry. Yeah, it was a super controversial film, which is strange looking at it now. Like yeah. watching it now, like, OK, yeah, it's, it's yeah. kind of it's a meaty movie it's a meeting there's, there's stuff to chew on there but it was fucking outrageous at the because time because obviously they couldn't the even time, submit it to the censors yeah you, they you had could, to send the script like about yeah. 20 pages at a time 
Yeah. It's because they thought if it if it went off on mass and they could read it all in context, it'd get rejected and no one would make it. So they <laughs> they had to submit it for approval, like a you know in bits and pieces. You, just, you know, at that time in Hollywood, and I, even in 1950, when you know, ten years later, things really changed in Hollywood because the studio system collapsed. Yeah. But at that time, you just you didn't do this sort of thing to Hollywood because they were almost the untouchables, and you had to make mm-hmm. it out to be as wonderful and dreamy as it was so to turn around and say actually once you fall out of favor or fashion in hollywood we basically forget all about you and throw you in a trash can that didn't go down well in fact mm-hmm. louis b mayer had to be escorted out of the screening room and he was fuming and when billy wilder was leaving he could hear all this kerfuffle and the yes men around uh, louis b mayer being like you know you're right yes 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 and then louis b mayer's like to billy wilder you know, he's basically calling him a heinous man and saying that you should be taken and thrown out of this country and tarred and feathered and just, you know, got rid of from this country for what you have just made. It's diabolical. Mm. And Billy Wilder, for everything he could say, and I quite think he said the right thing, was so flustered and angry, just told, I think it was long lines of, oh, fuck you, (laughs) go fuck yourself. (laughs) And left. And just, you know, the yes men and Louis B. Mayer were just aghast that he basically told them to fuck you. <laughs> but I love that. Whereas back in the screening room, the film had finished. And according to Gloria Swanson and Edith Head. Now, Edith Head is an eight time Academy Award winning costume designer. I don't think there's been any other that has reached the amount of awards that she won. Mm. And she's famous for her costume. She she dressed um, Betty Davis, Audrey Hepburn. She, I think she did Sabrina for Audrey Hepburn. She preferred to dress men, but she often dressed women. And she said of Audrey Hepburn that she needed to hide her collarbone because her collarbone was too prominent. So most of the times that Edith Head costumed her, it was things that would cover the collarbone. But um, even Edith Head said at the end of the screening of Sunset Boulevard for the Hollywood Elite, it was silent and then all after a few moments it broke out into rapturous applause Mm. just crazy applause and actresses swarmed around Gloria Swanson to congratulate her apparently uh, Barbara Stanwyck was so overcome and taken by her performance that after hugging her and congratulating her she even kissed the hem of Gloria Swanson's dress, which Billy Wilder thought was a bit too much. (laughs) That was a a bit over the top. And because Gloria Swanson was a silent movie actress star, just like Mary Pickford. Now, Mary Pickford was in the audience and Gloria was asking for her to to see, you know, obviously how she felt, what she thought. And she was told that uh, Mary was too overcome and had to go to a side room to pull herself together. It was just too much for her to to take because it's it's just it's too close to what these women yeah. were were put through and went through um, when their careers faded and ended. Some of them because they were European actresses, so they had very thick accents yeah. and would not have worked well in talkies. It's a bit like singing in the rain. Others may oh, have had. Yeah, I was going to say singing in common. the rain is all about that. Yeah, which is one of the reasons I like singing. I'm, I'm not a big musicals person as you know but i really like singing in the rain yeah and that's why that one speaks to me because that's you could take the songs out of that and you've still got a great movie there yeah, about absolutely. a transition period in hollywood 
Sorry, did you say you've not seen Singing in the Rain? I've not seen Singing in the Rain, no. Okay, so next year's list has to include (laughs) Singing in the Rain. (laughs) I think think we need to rectify that one. It's it's considered one of Hollywood's greatest musicals ever made. And yeah, and it is good. Because I, you know, if If he likes it. If, yeah, I mean, I won't naturally gravitate. So they have to be good for me too. Yeah. Like I I watched. What's it called? On the Town. Is it yes, On the Town? On the Town. Gene yeah. Kelly. Gene and I Kelly. didn't like that one at all because there's no story to it at all. It's, it's some nice numbers. Yeah. But there's no there's no there's no plot to get hooked into there. That's that's purely there as a vehicle for Gene Kelly. And, and also and, and Frank Sinatra. And Frank, yeah. And all that. Yeah. But it's the. You can't. You, you, know, you take the songs out of that, and there's nothing. Oh, there's no, But that's there's like a nothing. lot of musicals. But fun fact about On the Town: it was one of the first musicals to go on location. And when you watch them do the the main number on the town, hmm. um, I think it's on the town. You look in a background around Rockefeller Center, you know where the big golden waterfall things are. Yeah. And you can see the masses of crowds watching Frank Sinatra and Gene Kelly doing all this and the other bloke that no one ever remembers the name of doing this big routine. <laughs> who's actually, what, who's, yeah. He's no, a I'm, great comedian. He's, he's, yeah, I'm trying to think of his name. It's bugging me now. I started a sentence there not knowing where I was going with it. <laughs> and I thought, like, no, you can't say that because you can't remember his name. Oh, no, one, no one ever remembers his name. It's yeah. such a shame. But Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, the... I was watching uh, a making of and Nancy Olsen, who plays uh, Betty Schaefer, mm-hmm. was talking about the care and consideration that went into the set deck and the atmosphere um, mm. around making it. And they they even said at, at one point, one of the the cameramen took like a like a, a chalky dust and put it in his hands, and rubbed his hands together and clapped. And then he just threw his hands up in the air in front of his camera lens and then all the dust particles would will fall down in front of the camera and would stay in the air for a while. And she said it was just that attention to detail that yeah. went into making this film to add that extra, you know, when you're going through Norma's house and it yeah. hasn't been decorated since probably she bought it, you know, and it's so yeah. gothic and you've got this dust and you can just kind of imagine even like they tackled certain subjects and they, but the way they tackled it was just by sort of, we mention it. We don't necessarily talk about it all the time. The fact there are no locks on the doors, there are no yeah. door handles because Nor- Norma Desmond has been suicidal and attempted to take it, her it life. It deals with some really heavy stuff, like yeah. the apartment. Which the apartment is seen as like a, a light, frothy kind of rom-com. I thought that when I first watched it. And it deals with such really dark, dark stuff. There's a major scene in the apartment dealing with suicide. Yeah, but like, but same with, with this, and like Billy Wilder's seen as a kind of like a a light, fun director, and he is, and a funny mm. director, but he 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 doesn't. They don't mess around, and they deal with some really yeah. dark stuff. I mean, the whole subplot about the relationship between Joe and Norma yeah. is is really twisted, or, or 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 could be really twisted. It's all about like codependency mm. and who's using who. Who's taking yeah. advantage of who? Are yeah. they sleeping together? He's basically, has he basically become like a man whore? Or is he, what What exactly what, is their is relationship? It, is, it, yeah, Do you know, their relationship was probably one of my favourite things about the film because I think the way, the way they wrote it was really clever in that neither of them come off as purely 
sympathetic or purely sinister or purely manipulative like they are all well they're they're both sort of uh messy human people doing messy human things because they want to feel better about themselves or their lives or they want to step up in the industry or whatever their motivation is and it was really well written in terms of the realism of that because it could very easily have leaned into like you know she's she's being insane moving you into her house she's clearly weirdly manipulating you into becoming her partner for no like it's it's very creepy and and they they could have like really leaned into that being almost like Mm -hmm. you know ridiculous villainess kind of thing um but actually it was almost more sad than anything else yeah i mean it is it's a very big performance she puts in Mm -hmm. and you and like i say it's very dracula it's very um What's the what's the the film? Is it called Daughter of Dracula? Or? Yeah, the Daughter of Dracula. Yeah. It's, it's she looks a lot like her yeah. in that that kind of it's very broad, but she she's never entirely unsympathetic, mm-hmm. and clearly they both, although it's a it's a bit of a sick relationship and there's a lot of manipulation going on in both directions, they're also both benefiting from it. Like like Joe having moved in, kind of rejuvenates her and rejuvenates the house you know there's a there's a big scene at the start where there's rats the you know the 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 pool's empty and Mm. it's full of dirt and rats and everything like that and then you cut to a scene later on where he's swimming in the pool it's all nice and clean the house is looking Mm. nice and all this so there's a definite rejuvenating aspect that he brings while at the same time she's buying him gifts and he's he's enjoying you know the mm, he's accepting taking well, it, yeah. Although he never get, he never gets money. He's it's all it's all dependent. It's, it's all gifts and yeah. suits yeah. and watches and jewelry. Like when she's playing cards with the waxworks with Buster Keaton and the other yeah. silent movie, and they're about to tow his car away, and he goes to her to ask for money. And you just think, gosh, that it's uncomfortable to watch that conversation that he is doing. That's so embarrassing for her in a way, yeah. in front of her friends. It's brilliant. It is, and it and it and it flips backwards and forwards. So yeah, that's very emasculating for him. That point. Yeah. But there's another one bit later on where she has to kind of go crawling to him, crawling to him, and stuff like that. And it's kind of like it's equally awful. It flips and and equally brilliant. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. And and it it like I say it never quite neither of them become because neither are particularly sympathetic either. Joe's not particularly he's a he's a funny guy and you feel like he's a decent guy mostly but not always always. he's happy to go along with stuff and take advantage he's clearly take you know he's when he's there he's clearly okay plot quick plot recap he goes his car gets a flat he's avoiding the the debt collectors and he just pulls into a random driveway and it turns out to be norma desmond's decrepit house he doesn't realize anybody lives there she finds out he's a screenwriter. She's writing her big return script mm-hmm. of uh, Salome. And <laughs> she, she kind of hires him to be co- to co-write the script for him. Yeah. And it, you get the feeling it's a big rambling, the shining type script all work and no play. Yeah. A type script, a really indulgent. She's in every scene and stuff like that. 
And and he clearly gloms onto this straight away and goes, Oh, I can I can work this to my advantage straight away. I can, you know, I can I can I can I work can this for this every bit. Lady. Yeah. 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 So yeah, at the same time she's working him. <laughs> you know, so yeah. it's 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 you should you should you should hate both of these people. And yet you're rooting for them. You're, yeah. you, you and because when when Norma goes to Paramount Studios thinking that it's because Cecil B. DeMille has returned her call and mm. she's going to meet with him thinking that it's going to happen. Salome is going to be made. He's going to direct it. The two of them will be back together again, you know, and actually the greeting that he gives Norma um, when she comes to the studio. And is it like, um, it's like, hello, young sir, yeah. or something like that. That's actually how he spoke to Gloria Swanson. That was his like pet name, if you like, for her. But you then feel really sorry for her when it becomes apparent that it's not Norma the studio wants at all. Yeah. It's her car. Of yeah. all things, it's this peculiar, kind of cool, slightly oh, grotesque yeah. car that she has that is what well, they what, really want. What I found really interesting, really cool about that scene, really nice about that scene is through this whole point, she, she's been ranting on about how everybody loves her. Mm. What a great star she is, how everybody worships her, the whole industry worships her, and yet they're just waiting for her to come back. And we just, as the audience, assume she's crackers. Yeah. She's, she's <laughs> deluded. She's living outside of her head, and she doesn't yeah. know what's going on. And when we, we feel like that's about to be confirmed when she goes back to the studio to meet uh, DeMille. DeMille, And yeah. she's stopped by a security guard who doesn't know who she is, a young guy. Mm. And she recognises... An older security guard. Who lets her straight through? Who lets her straight, who recognises her and Norm, lets her straight Desmond. in. Don't you know who this yeah. is? You wouldn't and have you this job if it wasn't she Miss Desmond. She is adored. She yeah. is very well liked by the people who were around at the time. She must have been, I mean, it's it's all kind of kind of subtly done. But you get mm. the impression that, no, she, she's not lying. She was really popular. She was she, queen yeah. of the lot, you know. I mean, when, Demille, Demille says that, you know, somebody says something like, oh, wasn't she really hard to work with? And he says, oh, only at the end. Only at the she, end. She was, she but was even, wonderful. Even he basically says that when they chew you up and spit you out, what do you yeah. really expect, you know? That's it. And so it's, I, I find that I it's a, terrific a wonderful scene. moment that you find it, that she gets this adoration. And you're mm. going, oh, she's she's got something there. You, you feel like yeah. if they'd actually hire her back to do something yeah it could you could you see the glimpse of a happy ending you could you could see it working happening it's just unfortunate yeah but that's just it's it's not the way this story was to end which when you put the pieces together it makes sense but yeah it's it is a lovely well-crafted scene and in some ways i'm almost surprised because of the content of this film and what it's really telling us about hollywood I'm almost surprised that DeMille did it. I don't know huge amounts about DeMille. He's someone mm. I need to uh, learn more about. And I don't have much information about um, him doing the film. No. So um, all, all I know is that he's famous for doing big epics. He did big absolutely. biblical epics and yeah. you know, the thousand extras and all that kind of yeah. stuff. The Ten Commandments and um, uh, all, all, all that kind of and, and I think he did The Greatest Show on Earth. And, so he's he, he yeah. done for like, the big blockbusters and stuff yeah. before, you know. Um, and I know that what he was wearing in the film is exactly what he wore on set when he worked. He was always wearing kind of like riding gear and 
always yeah. carried a crop with him. He, he's kind of like, yeah, if, if you picture a, a cliche of a golden age movie Holly director, director, it's to him. Cecil B. DeMille would be that's, it. That's it, yeah. yeah. And it but is it, one of those things where you realise, oh, I don't think I've actually seen many of his films. Mm, no, really. I'm the same. I, it's one of those directors I know the name, but I don't think I've seen his work. Yeah. I'll have seen them not knowing they're like I've seen the greatest show on earth. I was going to say greatest show on earth is possibly the only. But one. I wouldn't have even known. I didn't. No. I wasn't aware that it was a demo because no. that was one of those ones that was on telly when I was a kid. It's often on a lot, and I think yeah. I've seen snippets of it, but I couldn't tell you everything about it. But yeah. I mean, what a scene! And then you have like the, like the B side of the story, if you like, when you've got Joe going off to where the writers are like, because he spots Betty Schaefer and he goes yeah. off. Yeah, because you have Max explaining that all the offices and buildings around the the set that they're currently at, where Norma's visiting with Demille, all used to be her offices and her yeah. dressing room. You know, it was insanely massive. But now, of course, they're all offices for writers and copywriters and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it's a nice, again, it's a lovely scene between. There's, there's a nice Eddie. bit of subtext there. Yeah. In that she was, she was, she, she, she. She hates dialogue and she hates writers mm. and she's literally been subsumed by writers. Her yeah. offices have been, that's where the writers work. Yeah. So it was like the sound movies and dialogue killed her career and they're mm. literally living in where she used to live. Yeah. Which I thought was a nice little, nice little um, thing. moment, a nice mm. little bit of subtext. Because when I was researching, because I have a book that's all about the making of this, this film um, and I was reading about Nancy Olsen and she had apparently on the days that she wasn't actually to be filmed and used on set she would go to set and she would watch the scenes between Swanson and Holden and others Mm. because she was understanding that because she was this was one of her first big films yeah she's really good she's really really good good. it's only who she's what else she's been in and she she had a bit of a career you know that was there but nothing nothing her biggest film was probably something like The Absent Minded Professor and yeah. Son of Flubber. Yeah. You know? But, uh, but yeah, she, she would go and watch, understanding the masterclass she was getting mm-hmm. by watching her fellow actors. But she did, like, they put in this quote that she had said, and she said, as inexperienced as I was, I sensed um, part of what was going on in Sunset Boulevard. Even I realised they might not uh, get away with it because they were telling the story of how Hollywood makes promises it doesn't keep. Hollywood had promised young Norma Desmond she would be immortal. Now, yes, Norma becomes immortal, but absolutely not in the way she had intended. You know, and I think that's, I mean, that's a superb telling of what this film really is, which is a macabre horror, but true horror story of what Hollywood can be, especially to, to women. Um, it, it is it's one of those it's like the literally what it tells you at the start is it's the true story of one of these horrible sleazy hollywood tabloid yeah. gossip stories that, yeah. that, you know that kind of stuff and to have one of the biggest gossip columnists in the film as a cameo at the in those in those end scenes hedda hopper yeah who would write all of that shit all the time <laughs> Um, is 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 superb as well. I mean, she was an actress for for a short time herself. Um, but that that last scene of Norma coming down the stairs to her, I'm ready for my close up, took two days to shoot. Mm-hmm. 
And according to Gloria Swanson, um, Billy Wilder wanted to have her in heels, but she requested not to because the the section of stairs that he wanted her to come down was so narrow that she was afraid that to come down those in heels with her being so intent and lost in a role of what she was doing, mm. she might have an accident. So, and you do see it if you watch the film again. I mean, you might not stay, but if you watch that, <laughs> if you watch at least that scene again, and you can find it on YouTube. In fact, when we put this out, we'll put some links to it. But you can see that she's barefoot coming down the stairs in that section. Um, but purely because the, like she said, it she felt it was too dangerous. I think uh, that makes more sense anyway. She's at home, yeah, wearing heels. Granted, she's you know got her hair all done up and glitter mm. everywhere and dressed, but she's also not with it. Yeah, you know she's not really. Oh, she's completely. She's completely. Into, into, she's completely into fancy land at that point. She's completely broken. Yeah, that I've got to say that 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 sequence uh, sort of mesmerised me, and it was a bit of a shame that it came at a point where I was think I was already done with the movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because um because that that whole sequence was very sort of like. Um, yeah, just the way the, the way she plays it, is sort of because again, it's another one where you know other actors may have leaned too much into the the camp or the pantomime or the the I've gone insane, blah, mm. and you're just yeah. like you know. Whereas she plays it to such a level that it's like very clear she's obviously had a psychotic break because she just you know done a murder on a man, mm-hmm. um, but but by the same to- like by the same token you'd still feel sorry for her yeah even though she's just done you know the unthinkable because she's very clearly just so messed in the head in such a sort of almost realistic way uh but yeah i thought that that whole sequence was and it's so beautifully shot yeah uh that bit i mean I, I love how she's coming down and there's all these these the reporters and people and guys on the on the stairs and they've clearly been told to just freeze yeah so she she's it's like she's moving through a, like i'm completely still like a painting yeah um and i thought that was just really really nice and like the just the tragedy of that moment is that she's finally literally thinks she's making her entrance yeah and she's making her exit yeah, yeah. you know and i just thought oh, the, the layers of this are just so delicious they're great. And and yet Wilder said that he felt he had screwed up the the ending. So that section where Swanson has now come down the stairs and she's come right into the, the camera after saying, I'm ready for my close up. Mm. And, and then I think we watch it and we think, oh, that's a masterful, brilliant. She's so close that the focus goes out. But that's it. She doesn't get you. You don't get the close up. You don't. And that's where Wilder says he made the mistake and he screwed it up because he was so mesmerized by watching what Gloria Swanson was doing, he wasn't paying attention to the camera. And so the camera went out of focus and he didn't get the, that focus shot that he's generally oh, famous for. I thought that was, that, I thought that was just the, the beautiful twist of irony at the end. I, yeah, I was the same. I, I thought, thought that was fully intentional. <laughs> yeah. I, I read in one of the pieces somewhere that he said he'd screwed up. He just, he got so lost in what was, because of what Gloria Swanson was doing, I mean, she got rounds of applause at the end of it, you yeah. know. And when she went home, or well, I say home, um, her daughter was on daughter were on set with her when she was filming. And they went back to the hotel after it was all wrapped and finished. And they said, well, Norma has left now. 
once that was done, it's like Norma was gone and Gloria was left and they all kind of missed Norma a little bit. I mean, um, Gloria Swanson had said that she hated to have the picture end uh, because none had ever challenged or engrossed me more. Mm. I get it's it. Interesting <laughs> that her car- she didn't. Her career didn't really have a resurgence after this. You'd it think didn't. that would have brought her back. I think she did maybe two movies after that mm. and then she didn't do anything until on airport 1975 yeah like where she some, kind of did did the starlet cameo as herself which yeah. also which also featured uh, nancy olsen apparently yeah that was a fun fact i found out i'd have fun out i um, well because i'd read that actually this film it was not a blockbuster it it did okay but it didn't mm. do great and i think it's another one that has found its its uh greatness i guess i i, I have a feeling that, that most films are a big hit at the time don't last yeah i think i think if they're a big hit at the time it's because they're of their time which doesn't necessarily translate to immortality whereas stuff that finds an audience later are generally i think ahead of their time um so they they don't they don't hit the audience and they find it later you know yeah. later on in 2001 to, 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 it's a wonderful life yeah, because it, it received good reviews and everything. Mm. It just didn't it wasn't financially a, a, a blockbuster. Yeah. Um, but I did discover that in when was it? 1989. Uh, in America, they have the Library of Congress. Yeah. And they placed it amongst the first group of 25 films to be placed in preservation in a national film registry. Um, recognizing culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant uh, films. And it was one of the first 25 to go into that. And they add so many uh, throughout the years yeah. that get added to that. And it's really quite a prestigious thing to have happen when it does. But I it... hear Freddie Will Got Fingered went in this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. If ever... <laughs> I'm, it's a lazy joke. I'm sorry. If ever... I have to pick a, a shit film. I always pick Freddy Got Fingered, and I've never seen it. But <laughs> I just, I just figure from the title and from the trailer, I don't need to. Yeah. <laughs> well, as we said at the top of the pod, uh, this was adapted into a musical. Mm-hmm. It was Andrew Lloyd Webber and Don Black and Christopher Hampton that adapted it to the stage musical. And that uh, wasn't the first. That wasn't the first time it was adapted to a musical. There, there was, there was. I think there was one or two earlier yeah. Yeah. versions. There was one, a couple. That, that, I think neither really neither really hits or anything. Really worked or took off. It's a bit like when they tried to do Gone with the Wind as a musical, but it was a th- like over three hour musical, like yeah. much like the film, and it didn't work, and yeah. that kind of died a death. Car- Carrie, they turned into tried to turn to a musical as well. They did. Yeah, you know, I've heard some music from that, and it's not awful, but it's also not great. Um, but. <laughs> But I mean, like we said, it's it's currently in London with Nicole Sergeinger. Um, But when it was on originally, we had actresses like Paddy Lapone. She originated a role of Norma Desmond on stage. Now, Glenn Close is the one that I always think of when I think of the musical. Yeah, the I mean, I, I read that Glenn Close and I thought, well, that because I, I was thinking, well, actually, who could you get to play? Yeah, Norma. yeah. In a bit, and I, I just couldn't think of any. And then I read Glenn Close. I thought, oh well, there you go. That's and, absolutely spot on. And I think she did it twice. And I wouldn't necessarily say that she is the greatest singer, but I have seen her 
on video and on like TV and stuff perform mm. because she is such a great actress. She knows how to put a song across. She has a voice. I wouldn't say it's, you know, the best ever. Yeah. But the way she puts it across is, is superb. But they've had Diane Carroll, Petula Clark, Stephanie J. Block, um, Elaine Page, Rita Moreno and Betty Buckley all have played Norma Desmond at some point, whether on tour or on London or Broadway stages. Um, so some great actresses have played the role. But I don't think anyone's ever been able to capture what Gloria Swanson brought to it. And yeah. But Joe, um, sorry, um, what was his name? Joe Gillis. Uh, William Holden. Thank you. William Holden wasn't the first choice either. No. Because Montgomery Clift yeah. was the first choice. Now, the only things I really know about Montgomery Clift was that he was extremely handsome, that he was best friends with Elizabeth Taylor, that he was in a horrific car accident. Yeah. Which Elizabeth, it was not far from Elizabeth Taylor's home and she ran to the car, found him, had to reach into his mouth and take teeth from his throat because they got smashed into his throat mm. and he was choking to death. And that obviously... It didn't necessarily disfigure his face, but the scarring meant that the the looks that he was famous for were affected. But um, I think it is said that he did sign on to the film and then he thought about it and then he rejected it. Yeah. Uh, on advice well, I mean, from if others. I remember right, I mean, William Holden wasn't a big name at the time. No, he wasn't. And he was he was kind of known for kind of like the the Orshuk's boyfriend type mm. uh, yeah. roles. Yeah. Um, so th- this this was really like a step up for him. And then he kind of his career was phenomenal after that. He had a, a long career and he was in a, um, I mean, he did, he did like four or five movies with Billy Wilder, I think. Wow. I mean, and he's t- terrific in Stalag 17. Um, and he was in uh, Bridge on. Well, that doesn't surprise doesn't me surprise at all. You. No. It's a prison movie. <laughs> We're not going to watch that. Thank you. Um, but he, did, he was in, he was in, uh, actually, he was in Born Yesterday. Ironically, he was in Born Yesterday, which was oh, the one that won the, the, the Oscar. So, and he was playing the Orshock's boyfriend, you know. Oh. Um, but he was in uh, Sabrina as well, which was uh, also, that was Billy Wilder as well, wasn't Billy it? Wilder, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, um, we, we've already talked, I'm sorry, I'm spacing out because we've talked about it. I'm thinking, why have did we talked we about it? <laughs> but but that's, that's a really good film. That, that was one that I watched. Um, not knowing what it was about. Mm. I, th- I think I stumbled across it like on Channel 4 in the afternoon. Yeah. And and just, you know, while I was having my lunch or something and and just thought, oh, this is really good. I'm going to have to watch this from the start sometime. Uh, but that was that was really terrific. Um, and then he did, you know, Bridge on the River Quiet and had a, a, a resurgence, a light resurgence in his career with the World Bunch, Sam yeah. Peckerbar's World Bunch. And then he did Network and Terry Inferno and all, you know, and all Network that. Network is stuff. such a good film. Mm-hmm. And he was, in, he was in Fedora, which was Billy Wilder's penultimate movie. Oh. And I, I implore you never to watch it. because I probably won't anyway. So. <laughs> uh, it's, it, I, it was, it's just depressing. It, yeah. it, it's, it's a film like it's it's like a crime thing like, but he i think he made it in like germany or something like that it mm-hmm. looks like it's shot on videotape it's Ooh. it's it looks really cheap and it's kind of depressing to watch thankfully he made another film after that with uh yeah. jack lemon and walter matto 
that isn't great, but it's it's a more suitable thing Ending to, end to up, his career. You know? yeah. It's a bit of a bit of an uplift, but it's um yeah. but yeah, but Fedora's terrible, terrible. It's it's surprising in a way and a shame that uh, aside from William Holden, of course, what what else Billy Wilder did, but in many ways that more didn't come for the actors that were in this film after Sunset Boulevard yeah. because it's such a superb storytelling but then again there's part of there's that small cynical small cynical i'm mostly cynical part of me that is like well was that hollywood's punishment for doing a film that was just too uh telling of what hollywood yeah. is like that this it's is your and i think it's very yeah. telling that you know william holden the male star had a yeah. great had career. a good career but uh, and the two the two female leads didn't didn't yeah yeah but oh what a cracker there's just the thing with this sort of film a bit like all about eve and some of the other older ones we've we've looked at there's so much that you can go into Mm. and and discuss with it i mean the whole thing with the monkey at the beginning that's like so far out of left field (laughs) that she had a companion monkey you can you can interpret that as oh she this is her first indication that she's completely out of a nut yeah uh, what a thing to do but or you can look at it as going this is showing you that she's completely attached she's had this pet slash companion and she loved that and she clearly loved this, monkey, this you know one monkey. of the best burial and everything for it yeah. and loved and it is absolute adoration and love you're seeing on screen not yeah. insanity and loss of reality because I suppose you also have to look at the time. All right, so it was 1950. It was set in the time it was made. We have to think about one. She was a Hollywood superstar, and I suppose having a companion pet that was a a monkey mm-hmm. was probably absolutely normal and fine. It feels like that's a reference to something. Yeah, and my, I don't know my what education it is. Of, of Golden Age cinema isn't quite Mine's good not enough. Stuff. The only star I know that had you know pet monkeys or chimpanzees was michael jackson yeah and i thought it can't be a reference to michael jackson because he hasn't been born early. yet no that's a, bit, that's a bit too much very prescient <laughs> but it but it does feel like that it feels like this is this is a reference to something mm. and i'm sure there's lots of stories of oh, hollywood you know maybe it's a reference to tarzan and maybe johnny weissmuller you know took, maybe <laughs> took cheetah home or something adopted cheetah i don't know but it just feels like it feels like a true, a bit of true Hollywood trivia there yeah. that they're picking up. And like it, it would have been a reference that audience at the time might have known what that was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or it might just be a bit of fantasy. I don't know. I, I, like you, I can say without without doing more, you know, mm. more deep diving. It feels authentic either way. It does. Yeah, so. completely. But it just would take more deep diving into Hollywood history to know is that a thing for someone back then i don't i don't know but it's and then you know having the waxworks seeing buster keaton and i well buster keaton's lovely but it's it it was um hb warner hb warner from who played uh mr gower in it's a wonderful life Mm. so so just seeing him in that it's like oh it's mr gower yeah and then you know reading that and going oh i didn't realize he was a silent film star i just assumed he was just like a character actor because mm. i know him super well from it's a wonderful life yeah so um so that yeah that was that was that was a nice little moment do you want to so, i've got a couple of bits of trivia for you do it let's do it billy wilder trivia 
So at one point they, they dance a tango and it's the same tango melody or same da- tango tune that is in Some Like Your Heart. There's a tango scene in Some Like Your Heart and it's the same uh-huh. tune. And also I, it's something I need to do more research in. Like we've got a character called Sheldrake, the, the, yeah, is he in the producer something. Yeah. And of course, in the apartment, there's a character called Sheldrake, who's essentially the, the villain of the of the piece. So yeah. I'm wondering if if Billy Wilder used reused the name Sheldrake a lot, if that's, you know, some kind yeah. of Could have been. shorthand for arsehole or something <laughs> in, his, in his script. But, uh, but I thought that was quite interesting because, you know, when you see that sort of stuff, because I've watched the apartment a million times, I mean, literally hundreds yeah. of times. So yeah. when and you know when you see that pop up, it's oh Mr. Sheldrake, you know. But, but yeah, so I think another thing I thought was quite interesting was when you watch the whole film and you go back, and then you realise like the layers of the title. So obviously mm-hmm. Sunset Boulevard is the name of a street in Hollywood, yeah. but also you could talk say that it's it's also a metaphorical title for you know the twilight of. Yeah, of her career. Yeah. So, yeah, it's almost, yeah. So I thought that was, that was quite, but then you just wonder, am I, am I, am I digging too deep? I don't know, because I think the film is so beautifully layered in Mm. what it is telling that it's just countless the amount of things that you could say, oh, is that, is that really a reference to that? And does that really signify this? Or you do, you do. I think it's very easy to, to, you get lost a lot of old movies oh they weren't sophisticated and they 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 didn't have those layers then Mm. they were just they were just happy that the sound worked (laughs) you know they didn't even have color they're not gonna have subtext for god's sake yeah but then you you find that they you know they clearly did i mean i always find it weird when i i I, there's an actress i fancy because it's like i shouldn't be fancying people in black and white who clearly are dead now that seems <laughs> weird and wrong. You know? Oh God! because no, go, we all do it. There's totally hot people. It's, in yeah, so films. it's 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 very peculiar. But yeah, but you know, there's there's a lot to love in in. Um, mm. I'll say I, I'll say I've met people who, who who refuse to watch black and white movies, and you just feel like you're just cheating yourself. You're just missing. So I mean, I I'm, as I said at the start, I was one of those people. I just mm. the only black and white film I watched was The Wizard of Oz. And that's because it's only about 20 minutes. That, that, was ba- that just barely and it, counts. It's, then it was colour. And now with all the restoration and everything, it's now more sepia than it is black and white. Yeah. You know, and that was it because I was like, ugh, black and white. It's so boring. Bring me colour. Um, but yeah, through watching now Voyager and that leading towards more black and white films and you realise you just, colour's great. I love colour films. Of course I do. But the atmosphere and everything that comes from black and white. And then you add the layers of that. You're really paying attention to what the actors and the writing are doing. Mm. And there's, there's a particular film. Scorsese did a remake of it with De Niro. Thank you. Yes. Cape Fear. Now I watched the original version of that for my open uni course. Mm -hmm. And then I had to watch the Scorsese version. Now, you know, I'm a big Scorsese fan. I love Scorsese. Yeah. I found the original far more disturbing and mm. creepy than the remake. And it was because it was black and white. Well, and it was because of the shadows I, and things. I'm I'm not a big Scorsese fan, as you know. Mm. Uh, but I liked Cape Fear. 
yeah, I still, I until still I watched the, the original, and yeah. then I went, oh no, I much prefer the original. There's just the the way that they can use black and white for, like I say, for shadow falls and things like that, and and you know, hype up the intensity of what's about to happen or not happen. I mean, we've spoken about it before, like the cat people. Yeah. And we we theorise that the first ever known jump scare is in that film. And it's it's superbly clever with all of its um, the work the work of shadows and light and dark and. Well, I think what's things. good is is when you can go back and see stuff and mm. see stuff that's like a cliche that's become a cliche and see where yeah. it was done originally and it still works and you find that oh that that still works. You see, Stacey's and- come right back round to you and how you felt <laughs> about the film. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Look at that. <laughs> Wait, I, no, but... I, re- I really did try to like it because I'll, I'll be honest and say that like I do struggle watching older films um, because uh, lots of reasons like the the different way that they're made, the different way that people act and speak. Like I have to be in a really particular mindset of I'm going to watch an old movie because um, I remember I can't remember what film it was we were watching. Uh, it was during lockdown when Rich was just watching like anything he could get his grubby mitts on um and we watched a film that was in like i want to say it was like the 50s and everybody spoke so fast and i couldn't barely catch a fucking word they were saying it was like a bunch of people working in a newsroom oh it's his girl friday his girl friday yeah it's amazing it's a it's a really good film but i had to watch it a second time the next day because i missed so much goddamn dialogue because i was surfing on my phone when he put it on and so like my brain wasn't like fully in gear and i was like right let's pay attention to this movie then i've already missed about 53 sentences as as that happened yeah Uh, so like I, I, I do struggle, but I, tr- I do really try to enjoy because I don't like I don't want my reputation on this podcast to be the one who doesn't like anything that came out before she was born. Um, <laughs> but I, I do think like having. It, it's the mindset, I think, because also like I haven't had a very good couple of weeks. Um, and so like putting on a film that. Uh, I didn't know anything about and I didn't know if I was going to like when what I wanted to do was like vegetate with comfort stuff yeah. <laughs> um, was like basically what I'm saying is I think this film is actually good and it's me that's not great. <laughs> I think it um, might be worth coming. You know, I know you said you, you probably won't watch it. I think it'd be worth coming back. Give it a couple, a couple mm. of years and come back to it. But like it's like, yeah, yeah. The, the, the lockdown thing, I just went through every one of my childhood movies that mm. that those first six months mm. i was watching all the harry house and stuff i was watching all the doug mcclure stuff and just it was all comfort movies same yeah. well not the same films but same i was doing all the comfort movie things and revisiting all of that and revisiting yeah. favorites and and you know it's it's okay because we won't bring his girl friday to the table to watch because we've we've seen it but um yeah, that's Rosalind Russell and Kerry Grant for you. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's it. But truly, it was baffling to me. I was like, how are they even forming actual words here? I don't <laughs> like. But whoa. it is. It's one of those those things that you assume. You know, I know. I know. It's one of the things that annoys me now. Is a lot of the dialogues like super fast mm. in like in like stuff. Uh, but you go, yeah, but this isn't new. You know, yeah. it's mm. just the sound was better. The mix was better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, the the okay. mono and and stereo was a lot clearer so you could understand what they were saying 
And a funny he, thing is, it, with His Girl Friday, it's again, it's another film that is super layered in the story it's actually telling. And, it's really and clever. Billy Wilder remade it as well as the front page. That's right. It's yeah. also a terrific. I think there's been yeah. like a bit three versions of that movie, at least yeah. three. And they're all yeah. great in, in different ways. I've only seen the one, but I've heard about uh, the others. Yeah. But but I think again, like it's like we've said before when we do episodes where we've not all loved a film. You know, that's why we do the pod. So yeah. we can hear different opinions and different ideas about these films and how we feel about them. It's the best part of doing it, you know, whether it's we all hate. Well, we didn't all hate that film that shall not now be mentioned. Yeah, let's not mention that. Um, <laughs> and stuff, but I think that's the, the best point about doing this, especially revisiting films with, you know, sometimes new 2023 eyes. Um, well, I will say that is one thing that I found interesting about this film, because I know we haven't watched like a ton of like, uh, you know, super old movies, but like the handful that I've either watched for this for this podcast or like, you know, when Rich was uh, watching everything that there was possibly to watch. <laughs> it's like there's a streaming service. I'll watch everything on it. Um, uh, like I have found that like obviously there's quite a lot of, of movies as well where you have to adjust your brain set for you know, remembering the, the, the time, uh, the, the time yeah. Uh, mm. And I mean, it, that's even happened with some like 80s and 90s movies that I mean, I happened across Weird Science on the TV the other day. And the yeah. guy, I'd, I'd completely forgotten that there's like an ongoing bit where that guy just has a really racist accent for no yeah. reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was yeah. like, oh, shit. Like, I remember when I was a kid, I thought this movie was the funniest thing I'd ever seen because someone turns into a turd. Um, but like... <laughs> So yeah, sometimes I have to like adjust my mindset and I'm usually quite good at doing that. But I mm. think, like I said before, I think I've thrown myself by being in the mindset for a musical. And, and also, wasn't. yeah, and having had like quite a rough couple of weeks. Absolutely. Here, like, my yeah. brain was, I think I was kind of looking forward to a musical almost because even though like all musicals aren't, you know, jolly fun romps, like nine times out of ten they are, or there's at least some like dancing or something. Yeah, you get a good, yeah. Yeah. Get a good couple of <laughs> And instead I was treated to like a sort of dark psychological uh, and and what was sad about it as well was the fact that um like you were saying earlier is that it was it it's so like still relevant it didn't it this wasn't one of those films that I thought had aged badly because there's actually not an awful lot in it that happens that wouldn't happen now yeah <laughs> and that's kind of depressing in and of itself isn't it though it's 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 such a sad telling of how mm. things have and haven't changed and it's so bizarre because. You know, there was a time in Hollywood when women were directors and it was during the silent era. And the reason we have like the, the uh, like the boom stick, if you like the boom stick, is because a woman created it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a time when actresses were the hottest commodity in Hollywood, especially, I mean, yes, during wartime. But in that golden age, the, it was the women that were the top in the, well, you know. It's pecking. interesting because this is from 1950 and I, yeah. I would have said... Oh yeah, the forties and fifties were good times for yes, actresses. For women, for women, they were, yeah. you know, the golden age. Yeah. But clearly, it's always been an issue. It's like because I think you're right though, because in like the forties and fifties, it was a great time for women, but the women from the twenties and thirties, not so much. 
Yeah. Because well, obviously they, they were silent actresses. And well, they, it's, it's that Hollywood thing as well, isn't it? Of like, oh, once you've hit your 30s, get out of it. my face, you yeah, Disgusting, get off. Where's the next beautiful, you know, 18-year-old? Yeah. <laughs> it is shocking remember. that that's still a thing. And I'm oh, not the most, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, illuminated it's, guy in the world, you know. But it's, I, it, you think, Jesus, that, that that's still going that on. It's still a thing, because I can't remember where it you know, I think it was, um, I can't remember if it was a film or a TV. I want to say it was probably something like Death Becomes Her when they made a joke about it, where you've gone from being, or even a First Wives Club, I think it was. Mm. I remember it being Goldie Horn, who says you kind of go from being the young, hot girlfriend to then the mother and then you're the grandmother. And you're not even a grandmother's age yet. You're just, you're probably yeah. 40 or 50 and already you're playing a grandmother. But, it, you know, the, and that's the thing, like we said earlier, uh, Gloria Swanson and Betty Davis are both somewhere around their fifties, I think, when they played these roles. They yeah, weren't I, th- old. I think I think Swanson no. was literally fifty when she yeah. ran, which seems absurd. As somebody who's older than that now, that it's just seems absurd, absurd, isn't it? I mean, she and she looked beautiful. Yes, mm. they made her look in times with hard lighting and makeup at times not quite grotesque, but not. Yeah, I mean, she certainly looks older than than she that. actually is, yeah. but. Edith Head still had her character. They still had Norma because they decided that although she was not in public eye, she would still be in fashion. So everything she wears is not 1930s, 1920s. It is 1950s fashion. So she's still, you know, working at looking great and looking right and in fashion. But she's not being seen by anyone because she's practically reclusive. Yeah. You know. And certainly the Hollywood recluse isn't. You know, is a definite thing that mm. you know that happens a lot. Yeah, yeah, but it 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 is such. Um, I guess would you call it a fable in a way that this is yeah. a sort of thing that I mean, it's it's subtle. Is it subtle like a Hollywood story or something? Like, like I think it's. Uh, yes, I just turned around to look at the poster I've got of it on my wall. It said yes, Sunset Boulevard, a Hollywood story, and it and it absolutely is. And mm. like we. We keep we've kept saying a few times it's just it is sad to think that you could lift this entire script. Yes, you would change a few things for time. I mean, yeah, era. I mean, you'd definitely be talking about AI, and you'd be definitely be talking about the Me Too movement and stuff like that. Absolutely, but uh, the main core of the entire thing would still be relevant to be able it, to yeah, do this if it's, today. If it's still about you know, exploitation of writers and the waste of female talent. That's yeah. absolutely spot on. Only the details would change, I think. Yeah, yeah, it, it absolutely. So it's, yeah, and it still just looks beautiful. I mean, I, I have, yeah. I have it on Blu-ray now, but even from from DVD to do to Blu-ray, it still looks gorgeous. Um, the the, the setting and the fact that there there were, I think Billy Wilder said there were houses like. Norma Desmond's that was still standing in Hollywood at the time mm. that looked like Norma's did inside as well. You know, all these big, because, because the, the actors and actresses who were buying them on Sunset Boulevard at the time. So it would have been the twenties and thirties. It wasn't the, um, like the hot place to live like it became, you know, so they, they just bought these really big mansions. <laughs> yeah. And just didn't lose them after even when their careers waned. Um, but I just, there's not much I don't love about the film. I just think as a whole, 
piece of art, it's superb. Um, I don't know that I would use the word perfect because I don't necessarily believe in perfection, but it just hits all the right notes for me. Um, and I could just watch Gloria Swanson play this role. Yeah. I mean, I'd use the word perfect in that there's nothing in it I'd change. I don't think. I, I was going to say, true. I think something yeah. can be perfect for you without actually being flawless, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. In a, uh, yes, in that in that remake, yes, I would agree. There's no, I don't think there's anything I would change in this film. I know somebody, I'm not going to call him out on the podcast because that'd be rude, but I know somebody who, who will not give five-star reviews on Letterboxd because he believes that five-star reviews should be for purely perfect films and he doesn't think he's seen one yet and oh, i think that's fuck off truly <laughs> i think that's truly i give out five stars like they're fucking <laughs> yeah. like i'm just wanging them everywhere turtles yeah. movie yeah five stars flipping spider-man give it five yeah, stars my, yeah my, my logic of that is if you don't give five stars then four stars is as good as you get so that's mm. your five star then yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely it's nonsense <laughs> I'd easily give this. Bring him out back and I'll beat him with a rubber hose. (laughs) (laughs) Now, look, we're coming up to about a two hour mark. So I think we've more or less done it. But let's just, as we always do, let's do some final thoughts. So, Stace, let's go with you first. Well, I mean, I think I've said everything about it, really. I I do think that that after after discussing it, I do think maybe I will come back to it. Probably not for a while. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, when I'm in a better headspace, when mm-hmm. I'm now that I know that it's not a musical. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> twat. Um, <laughs> I think I think because there was a lot there for me to appreciate. And I think maybe I was just in entirely the wrong mindset. So I think it was I think it's more on me, basically. So just disregard anything that I said about this film. <laughs> and listen to Jenny and Lee because I think they've got the correct opinions (laughs) I think everything you said about the film was valid and absolutely fair thank you for how you felt thank you for validating my appearance on this podcast I I was kind of dreading this because I was worried first of all that I wouldn't have enough to say which sort of happened uh but but secondly that I was going to say hey lads I didn't think this was very good and you would lose your minds and disown me as a friend that would have happened with the great escape trust me true True. and we're yeah. still here and great escape was a few episodes back now we're still doing it we're just not allowed to mention that film <laughs> <laughs> but no i think as as we've always said every each opinion is is fine and valid of how we feel about these things when we watch them because so many of them well maybe all of them we've never seen but so many of them are, are a lot older <laughs> they're not like films that have just come out are they so i think it's perfectly fine that we're watching them and I was saying, I think that's what we part, see. part part of the premise of the of the of the, of the of the point of doing it is that how do they how do these stand up yeah. against their reputation against everything you know the weight of expectation absolutely the, all, all the stuff like you know the fact that they they've been parodied and ripped mm-hmm. off and referenced for yeah. you know, half a century or whatever it might be and I think fact, that's that's all part of it. I think. I think it is. And the fact that your expectation was that it was going to be a musical was disappointing. It was not. <laughs> I, th- I think it's understandable though. I think I, it's understandable. I, I think it's yeah. Because there is a mu- there is a musical. I'm yeah. so glad you said that at the start because I genuinely thought I'd had like a fever dream of a musical and it had stuck in my head all my life, <laughs> and that 
like, oh, I was thinking I could be the next Andrew Lloyd Webber if I just keep, yeah, can, you can know. Can we just yeah. blame Andrew Lloyd Webber? Just blame Andrew Lloyd Webber. I would. Because here's the thing, yeah. right? This is get a little insight into Baby Stace uh, life. Uh, myself and a friend called Jenny, not not this Jenny, uh, when I was too many Jennies, too many Jennies. Just um, enough. When I was when I was younger, we were both a little a little teeny weeny bit obsessed with cats. I think we saw it a fa- like a thousand times together, and we actually met the cast of it the once and almost died of excitement. Um, but we 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 had like a greatest hits of Andrew Lloyd Webber like CD that we would perform to people like a lot of the time, and so now okay. I suspect that that one song that I know it was on that, and uh, and that's why bits of it are lodged in my brain, um, and I don't know why I never thought to like as I grew up and found out that that was a film. I don't know why I never sought to put those two things together in my brain. Well, how, how old is the musical? Them. I mean, I know we're drifting up, but how, how old How old is the musical? I, I have I have visions of it being quite recent. Of being... I'd have to check, but I have a funny feeling it may have been to yeah. the eight, or eight, I might, 80s I might or 90s. Realizing that I'm 80s. older than both of you. And well, the, I, I think... recent to me was childhood for, for you. I was going to say, I, I, so I've, I recollect like sort of performing this around sort of like ages like seven or eight ish, which would have been like what ninety two, ninety three. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so I mean, if it makes you feel any better, and you can cut this out, Jenny, but unless you think it's really funny, if it makes you feel any better, I posted on a, a TMNT subreddit today a, a bunch of Inktober's that I did of the two thousand and seven iteration of the turtles and somebody posted oh i grew up with this film bloody loved it as a child and i almost <laughs> had a weep at my desk <laughs> yeah it, it comes to all of us eventually oh my god i was like grew up with it that was like my fifth fucking round with turtles on the telly let alone the comics and now james louise well <sighs> according okay, to we're on quick... to the turtles now i think it's it is. Well, according to a quick Google search, the West End debut, which was the first debut of Sunset Boulevard, was in 1993, but it had done festivals in a workshopping in 91. So, yeah, early 90s. It was it was a uh, Lloyd Webber musical. But yes. Back to final thoughts. Lee, what were yours, my love? Yeah. Well, yeah, I've nothing to add. I've, I've, you know, blathered on about. I just think it's a, um, a great film. And I think. Uh, just Billy Wilder's worth mm. deep, uh, a deep dive into, yeah. you know, his his kind of filmography. Um, it's just a terrific run of, you know, not everything's a winner. The, you know, he's got he's got a few duds, mm-hmm. but um, it's just a phenomenal phenomenal kind of um, hit list, really. Yeah. Because um, he, he was, you know, he co-wrote as well, mm-hmm. um, and and he had two particularly two great co-writers. There was the one on this one which was uh charles, charles Brackett, yes who he had who he did i think he did 12 i want to say 12 or 15 yeah, movies did, with did a few yeah and yeah then just, and originally they were just parted. co-writers and then uh billy wilder started to direct yeah so he, he was doing uh bracket started to uh, produce and apparently they were they were a bit of a uh, mccartney and lennon duo they were like mm. a, a like a a couple of superstars, but they didn't get on very well at all. They would they would literally have proper fights and throw shit at each other. Mm. Um, and and uh, Sunset Boulevard was the last movie they made together. Yes. And then not long after that, uh, Billy Wilder hooked up with another writer called IIL Diamond, 
um, who he did, you know, um, uh, some like it hot and mm. the apartment and a whole bunch of other classics with, and he he did about a dozen films with him as well. So he he worked. Re- I don't I don't know if he ever wrote any films himself solo, but he certainly was very prolific and, and really good like co-writer, co-writer. part of the writing yeah. team. I think he liked working with somebody else. Because as far as I understand it, with Bracket, they parted amicably. There wasn't there wasn't any backlash between the pair of them after they yeah. parted so but i think i think they, ju- they just ca- couldn't carry on yeah with, sort of chalk and cheese and with their relate yeah they they yeah. you know it's funny because you know, the results are generally so they're you know, so good so yeah. good and you and you just think wow that it must it must take some mm. clearly there's, there's a lot of work going on in the background you don't mm. get that with ai so fuck ai fuck ai yeah absolutely fuck ai yeah in the bottle are- way we're all for that. Fuck AI. Uh, okay, cool. Um, I like the pair of you. I think this episode I've been able to say all I all I really feel for this film, which is just real love. I have to watch it sparingly these days. You know, I can't just keep watching it over and over. It's one of those that when I come to watch it again, I love sitting down. Thing. And like you, Lee, I, I haven't watched loads of Billy Wilder, but what I have watched, I love and they're in my collection Mm. Um, a film to do go yourself, back to. Yeah, do yourself a favour and just dip into his, his back. Mm. Just the start. I just went through literally. You know, um, I didn't watch every single movie he did, but I, I, you know, the lion's share. Yeah, I did, and just and decided to just watch him in order, not knowing what half of them that were about, and yeah. had just a brilliant, brilliant time with it, and discovered a lot of great movies. Excellent. Well. That was Sunset Boulevard. I'm glad we got to it and enjoyed it for the most part. <laughs> yeah. Um, Lee, I believe it is your choice next. So, well, what do you want me to announce? Because we've got a Christmas special coming up. Yeah, my yeah. Well. Go on then. I mean, I thought <laughs> it was going to be a surprise because we did actually say last year what it was going to be. We would do it. Yeah. yeah that's true. <laughs> so, so right, we're doing. Let me Disney's... introduce that one to you again then. <laughs> yeah. We'll do so we're doing Disney's Beauty special. and the Beast yeah. for the Christmas special, yeah. which I've never seen. Yeah. And then in the new year, 1st of January, we're going to be watching the classic Seven Samurai. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I just yeah. recently bought it, so I've got it ready to watch. Cool. But I'm, I'm, scared. I'm scared of this one because my husband very much likes this film as well. And so now, now not only do I have to worry about ruining friendships, but I also have to worry about ruining Divorce. a marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's OK because we've got Disney's <laughs> Beauty and the Beast first, which could not come at a better time in a year where the Walt Disney Animation Studios are celebrating their 100th year of creating. Well, let's not build it up too much because I haven't seen it yet. (laughs) We know know how you feel about musicals. Yeah. Yeah. And and Disney. I'm not, I'm not traditionally the biggest Disney animation fan neither. So. Okay. Okay. So this could be. I was not fully aware of that information. (laughs) That's just gonna. So, uh, we'll we'll save it for the Christmas that's special. Gonna be Happy holidays. Special. Lee's about to dump on Disney. Well, we will all look forward to that. So, until then, it is a goodbye from me and a goodbye from Stacy. Adios. And a goodbye from me. Bye bye. Until next time, this is Never Seen.
Hey everyone, if you'd like to follow Never Seen on the socials, you can find us on both Twitter and Instagram at neverseen underscore pod. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I'm at angelj5. You can find Stacy on both Twitter and Instagram at Stacy's Parlor. That's Stacy spelt with an E-Y and Parlor with a U-R. And you can find Lee on Twitter at lovelylee underscore G. 